0: To uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So, thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, what's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I
1: hope you're all having an amazing day so far. I am so excited, grateful, and privileged to be introducing my dear friend and this week's guest, Ms. Cheryl Netsky. So I've been wanting to bring someone on to the show uh, to discuss the topic of energy work, energy healing, and just overall basics around what is energy and how it pertains to us living a fulfilling life for a while now. In fact, I wanted to bring Cheryl on to the podcast before COVID, but because of scheduling complications and timing issues, it just didn't work out. And we recently reconnected, and when we hopped on a call, it was pretty abundantly clear why the universe took so long for us to finally record this podcast, because the direction that our conversation went was so unique, so authentic, and I just can't wait for you guys to get to know Cheryl. So to give you a little background on Cheryl, Cheryl is a unique being, the rare combination of a business consultant, an executive coach, a meditation teacher, and a shamanic energy practitioner who has spent... The last 30 years really learning from renowned healers and shamans around the world, from San Diego all the way over to sacred sites in Peru, and practicing her gifts with thousands of clients to really help them unblock, I guess, blocks, energy blocks in their in their bodies, accelerate journeys to healing, helping people realign with their purpose and reshape their lives to increase clarity and deepen relationships with themselves and others in their organizations, I mean, she's presented on Sir Richard Branson's Necker Island. She's done work for the Gates Foundation. She is a former senior faculty member of the Four Winds Society Healing and Light Body School, where she trained and mentored hundreds of global shamanic energy medicine practitioners. I mean, she's been working with CEOs, Fortune 500, uh, C-suite executives. I mean, Cheryl is the real deal when it comes to energy work. And in this episode, I just... I learned so much and it's rare that you meet individuals like Cheryl who have spent so much time learning the ancient arts from from the source, really taking it from the fire hose and developing her own craft as a healer. And and in this episode, you're going to talk a lot about energy, how to raise your vibration, what it means to be a shaman, how to learn to trust your own innate intelligence, how Cheryl even became aware of her gifts and how if you have gifts, you can become aware of them too. Cheryl is just such a beautiful human being, and she's developed such a keen understanding of the human condition and has the ability to help others see what has previously been hidden or overlooked. In fact, she has called me out in a lot of ways and held me to a higher standard in private conversations and on this episode to truly connect with my truth and share from a place of innate wisdom. And that's what I love about Cheryl. And so if you're ready to deepen your experience of life, unleash your unique gifts, trust more deeply in your intuition, then... I think Cheryl's reverence for life and her gentle energy in this episode is going to wake something up in you. And I'm excited to feel into that with you as we explore what it means to live a fulfilling life. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. We make If you want to reach out to Cheryl and say anything to her, uh, we create all of her contact information in the show notes. You can always reach out to me as well. I love hearing from you guys, especially if there's specific nuggets on the show that you're resonating with. Um, If you haven't already subscribed to us on iTunes or any of the podcast apps, all that means is that every single time we release a new episode, it drops straight into your inbox. And, you know, I, I love this show, you know, and I, I think it's just such so amazing that we as a community get to explore so many different aspects of what it means to be alive and everything from taking care of our physical health to exploring our emotional, spiritual and 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 just our emotional and spiritual health in this way through the concept of energy I just love that the podcast has really created a safe space for all of us to explore so many different ways to to come alive so I hope you guys enjoy Cheryl and without further ado I'm just excited for you guys get to know her so here is the amazing Miss Cheryl Netzky. enjoy Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you are all having a wonderful day so far.
2: Ah! Hi, Cheryl. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Raj.
0: (laughs) Man, I've been wanting to have this conversation with you for so
1: long. And I am... Just so grateful in the way that timing and the universe and the divine works that it brought us here today in this moment to finally have the conversation that we've been waiting to have. So I'm super excited, grateful, and just so pumped
0: to have you here.
2: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm grateful <laughs> that we got to reconnect in the ways that we have. And it's just I adore you and I'm grateful to be Aww. in conversation with you.
1: <laughs> oh, well, the feeling is definitely mutual. Okay, so there's a million different directions we can take our conversation, just based on the plenty of down the rabbit hole, deep dives we've had off the mic. But to set a container and to set this conversation, I'd love to one start on the concept of energy because I, I think that one that's something that i've been learning to create more of in my body it's been one thing i've been learning to intuitively connect with within myself over the last year but just from your background and your perspective i'd love for you to sort of describe what energy is in the in the context of of living a life like as a, as a human being with with energy as a human being with person like i, I don't know i just would love to maybe context this with energy and maybe have you describe it and then just go from there.
2: Okay. So I think the the first place in terms of like, what is energy? What is an energetic? How are we? Who are we as energetic beings? So if we think about the body is not just a container. So our skin is not just... We're not just body bags holding this energy. The skin itself is alive and is an organ and is a part of the energetic being. So there is kind of the sense of a container. So I'm going to hold up a bottle here and inside the bottle is yellow liquid. And if we think about the bottle as being a metaphor for the body, but again, it's a gross example, meaning it's not subtle enough. really explain it but it gives us a a sense of it the energetic the luminous energy field is contained inside of the body as the body and i'll also preface this with look i've had some amazing teachers that have shared deep vast wisdom teachings with me and i don't claim to know the unknowable and i work inside the unknowable spaces every day so there's this dance here my best understanding Of who we are as luminous energy beings is that the divine itself is embedded inside, is hidden like a treasure, like a gift inside of every single one of us. And whether we want to call that divine life force, if we want to call that energy, if we want to call that God, if we want to call that supreme consciousness, if we want to call that Maha consciousness, if we want to call that spirit, whatever we want to call it whatever people are comfortable with. If we want to look at it as particles moving together, rubbing really fast and creating a vibratory quality to it, that every being has a different resonance. So there's some people we walk up to and you're like, oh, I want to be close to that person. And there's some people that you're like, oh yeah, no, I'm going to keep my distance over here. They might be a beautiful human being, but I need a little bit more space from whatever that vibration is. And it takes all the vibrations to make a symphony that space of who are we as energetic beings the luminous energy field is connected in the body as the body as this divine treasure so when we meditate we're going into that yellow it's not yellow liquid but this example of this bottle with the yellow liquid we're going into that space of that yellow liquid to find the stillness we're going into that space that is connected to that luminous energy inside of every living being and creature on the planet, inside the animate, inside the inanimate. So in the shamanic teachings, it's not just animate things that are alive. Shamanism is, is my definition of it is, it's the connection to the aliveness in all life. So it's this, they consider the stone people to be alive the stones the rocks the earth has an aliveness to it and from you know kind of like a science one health kind of perspective we can look at that and say like even scientists we you know can look at that and say okay well we you know take if we Lift up a part of our garden, we'll see earthworms in there and other bugs and insects crawling around. There's an aliveness to the earth. Some soil is more inert and some soil is more like, oh, yeah, no, I don't want to grow anything in that, but oh, I could grow my garden over here. The richness of the fertile soil. So everything is alive the plants, the stones, the rivers, the sky, the sun, everything is part of this kind of Gaia principle view of it. And that's like an expansive answer. And we can... No,
1: it's a beautiful answer. Yeah, uh, There's so much in there. And I, I loved several questions, but in, in general, the the idea of resonance and some people vibrating at a higher frequency than others, I guess one question I had is what causes the different vibrations? Like why do certain people vibrate at different frequencies? And is a lower frequency worse than a higher frequency? I think that's, that's one question. I guess that's one question I had.
2: Yeah. It's a beautifully complex question. My understanding and my experience of that. So let's take it. There's a few layers to that question. Do some people have more earth energy to them? And some people that would give a more grounded, lower vibration kind of holding, like the people that you want to walk up to and you just want to hug from them. There's like this earthy kind of quality groundedness to them. Often their voices will have a depth to that too. And then there's people who are more fire energy right? And then there's like this excitement and this this rage that's kind of going through them and you want to go dance with those people, you know, like that fire energy or you want to get on board whatever they're doing, that passion behind it. And that has a different vibrancy to it and the tone and the, the vibration of their whole being and the vibration of the voice will carry that fire energy in it. And then there's also people who are more air energy based. So they have lots of thoughts and they're rapid thoughts and they're not necessarily so grounded, grounded to that. They may forget to go to the bank or get the groceries or eat or, <laughs> you know, any of these things, but they've got rapid thoughts and they're great thoughts and they're, you're, know, they're kind of downloading in all of these places. And there tends to be like a, a fastness to the pace of that vibration and how they'll talk. No, we all have all of the, we all have earth, we all have fire, we all have air, we we all have ether. We all have, there's other layers of metal and wood and all of these other vibrations of the natural world that are inside of our bodies. Like even like when we look at like iron, you know, like like there's right? There's metals and, and waters and all of these things. So that's one layer of the question is some of it is we have a natural, I think Ayurvedic practitioners would call it like a prakriti, like a natural like way of being or a dosha of uh, kapha, pitta, vata, that there's a natural way of being in the world that has a certain vibratory quality to it. Now there's another layer of that. So in terms of how do we raise our vibration, how do we awaken, how do we grow ourselves, how do we evolve? That's a matter of clarifying the yellow liquid. So how do we move more of the dense matter out of our energy field? So on the days when we may be feeling low or down or our thoughts are really caught in something that is an indelible moment, like a moment we can't forget from the past of a past hurt or a wound, then that is raising up almost like a dark particle inside the yellow liquid of the bottle that is, and again, this is just a metaphor for the body, but that dark particle that's getting lifted and raised inside of us is being lifted, not so that we have a miserable day, it's being raised and lifted so that we can actually mulch it digest it it's like the apple cores and the banana peels that we give to the earth as compost if we don't have a process a system internally we don't have access to a system we come wired with a system but we don't all remember how to access how to mulch the denser matter inside of us mulching the denser matter inside of us is what lifts our vibration It makes it a clearer container and vessel for us to engage in other people. So less of our stuff is rubbing and bumping up against somebody else's. Kind of like a pinball machine. Any of us have ever been in a high conflict relationship, whether it's in a business situation with a boss or a colleague, or in a romantic relationship, and it's like ping, 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 like that, like trigger, trigger, trigger. Right. What's happening is like the dense matter is around the old wounds has formed a pattern. And that pattern of those ways of being the adaptations to try to get our needs met are not working. They're working well enough or we wouldn't do them, but they're yeah. not working well enough for us to show up in right relationship with one another. And in the Caraways, the medicine men and women of the Peruvian mountains, uh, they call that Aini, right relationship, A-Y-N-I is Aini, to be in right relationship. So it's easy for each of our jobs, like if we want to suffer less and if we want to create less suffering in the world, we do our personal work and we lift up and out of our field. We mulch the past emotions, food, experience, food, meaning sound, sights, images, not just food that we ingest, but anything we've taken in conversations, hurts. We find ways to digest that matter and then our luminosity can shine out more and more.
1: Is that what shamanism really helps guide? Like, I guess, like, when I think about shamans, like, I've I've worked with shamans in my life. I've been to medicine ceremonies where there have been shamans present. And is that, like, I guess if you had to think about, like, what is the role of a shaman or what is shamanism in that way? Is it to guide the purification process? Is it to, can you describe it or even, because you've studied with so many different types of healers and shamans? Like, I just think that you have such a unique perspective on what it actually means to be a shaman.
2: Yeah, I, I guess like first I I kind of surrender to the grace of I, I'm not all knowing in terms of shamanism. I do practice it every day. I practice shamanism and there are people who have grown up inside the lineage in a way that they have been trained in meditation at age three. I was trained in meditation at age 14. Still great for kind of American standards, but I don't want to misspeak. Yes, in terms of is the work to guide people in the process of releasing that which is no longer serving. Yes, the shamanic practitioners and and you mentioned like sitting in ceremony and so forth. And there are different types of shamanic ceremony. And this is worth just kind of mentioning briefly because my medicine yeah. is not plant medicine in those ways. So I don't lead plant medicine ceremonies. That's not my work in this lifetime. My work is to help people go into meditative states, to be in journey states, which are meditative states, to go in and release that which is no longer serving so that they can show up as more of who they are, more of who they want to be, more in alignment with all that is, more of in alignment with what we want to leave to our children's children. Like that space of bringing ourselves deeper home. Inside ourselves, like coming home from the war, that whatever our big beef with life is, and figuring out, like, well, wait, how do I drop that? How do I release that? And it's, if it was that easy, we'd all do it in every moment of our lives because we're suffering when we don't, you know? So shamanism is, when you think about it, like when we lived in tribal villages, there was a chief and there was a healer and there were the people who were more in charge of cooking and there, you know, there people divided up the roles. The person who was chosen, kind of like the the shamanic practitioners were at a young age inside of the village. They were often the ones who had fallen out of the tree and suffered a great trauma or like broken lots of bones or somehow healed from a snake bite and managed to alchemize that inside their system. So people are drawn into this work, have managed to figure out how to alchemize wounds into light, like to release more of those places. So it's, so it's not that people haven't suffered, it's that they figured out how to transform the suffering into service, into that place of being of light again. That's, a I guess, a complex answer. But.
1: but one that made me take like six deep, wonderful, calming breaths. There's a level of reverence that I feel from you for the process and for the practice and for, for the art. Of, of healing and the art of service that I think is really beautiful. And I think that that comes from, from, from you being deeply humbled in a lot of ways, either by the magic, by the art, by the work. So how did you, what made you want to be or pursue this line of work? And like, how did you become so deeply connected to the work that you're doing in the world?
2: I was born this way in a certain way. So, in my baby book, one of the first things that my mother wrote about was that I had this red V on my forehead that when I would cry, it would get dark red. And I read later that I, it probably was in my thirties when I read that that was one of the marks of a shamanic practitioner in a tribe, that those were the healers. I'd, you know, it was in a book. I don't know more than that <laughs>
0: about that <laughs>
2: but, you know um so fits the, mold, right, fits the mold right right so it's my harry potter mark <laughs> except it's not a z it's a b <laughs> um, oh, that's so good. yeah <laughs> and then you know i remember being really quite young being a toddler and seeing a ray of sunshine coming through our living room windows and seeing the dust particles. I didn't even know they were dust. I I saw particles dancing in the light. And I started yelling to my mom, 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 mom. So I was so like enraptured with like, what was this that I was watching? And my mother who didn't know that I was seeing energy came out and said, oh honey, that's just dust that's dust particles. And I was just like, fascinating. That's dust? Like I was fascinated. And I didn't know till many decades later, nor did she, that I was actually seeing the light and density inside of air. I was seeing air. I was seeing particles. I was seeing more than dust. And it was a fascinating dimension of universality. Kind of flash forward, I would wake up a few years later, I'd be waking up with prescient dreams like, hey, I will, I had this dream, our neighbor next door, she had her baby and it was a girl and they named her, oh, oh. And, you know, and my parents' draws are kind of dropping and they're looking at each other. And I don't know if I'm in trouble in this moment because like sometimes when your parents look at each other like that and everybody's silent, you don't know if you've just said something wrong, you know, you're, so yeah. that's how it kind of came into it. But then it went into, it wasn't really encouraged or, um, you know, it wasn't mainstream, I guess I would say, nor is it really mainstream now yet. It's just that now we've had like meditation on the cover of Time magazine and and so forth many years ago and so forth. But flash forward to adulthood, I really got drawn into this path through yoga. So I was uh, teaching in a high school and I was teaching teachers and I felt really called to yoga. And this was 20 years ago. Nobody was doing yoga. There was one studio in the state of Michigan and I went and took a class and I had a profound experience of things healing in my body and it didn't make any academic sense. I was a very academic kind of straight A kind of kid. So it didn't make intellectual academic sense. And I want, it was the first time I felt like an engineer, like I wanted to take it apart and figure out how does yoga work? Why are these things healing in my body? How did it, it made no sense. And yet it made all the sense kind of in a sacred intelligence type of way, in a cosmic way. And of course, I couldn't take yoga apart. I did study and train as a yoga teacher 20 years ago. And thereafter, a series of things ended up happening. I was training in a Mysore class, a room full of independent studies, where you're doing this, you start with an opening invocation. And as we did the opening invocation, I looked across the room and I could see the meridians on the person's body across from mine. And I could see where these lines of energy were flowing and where they were blocked And it was almost like kind of like the matrix, like seeing through a veil of normal ways of seeing, almost like a 3D image. You know, sometimes people can see the 3D image and sometimes people can't see the 3D image. It was very much like that, that I had been led through a veil, a doorway, and I could see it. And in the moment, I remember standing there with my hands in prayer position, staring like with a soft gaze, this drishti across the room, and then being scared that if I looked away, that I might not see it again. And mm. I had the courage to look away and I could see it on other people too. At the end of that class, I had driven with a friend of mine who is a doctor and she and her husband were both doctors. They were wanting to be pregnant and she's given me permission to share this story. I asked if I could work on her. I knew at the end of that class that I could help her. During Shavasana, I went over offered, she said yes, and I could sense density above part of her body. And my hands just knew what to do to help dissolve the density so that more flow could go into that space. We left class a few days later. She walked into my house and I could see her. I I just looked at her to greet her, but my eyes could see like what you would see on an altar ultrasound machine or on an x-ray machine and i could see these two little blips in her in her uterus that were blinking and i said when's your next doctor's appointment and she said oh it's tomorrow i said great call me after and she called me after and she said you're not going to believe this cheryl but i'm pregnant then a few weeks later she basically said there were two viable and one wound up being viable basically and they wound up having that child and he is now 16 years old wow So that was one of the first times that I kind of saw that these kind of gifts that I somehow knew how to do, but didn't at that point have formal training in, which is really important. And I'll emphasize that it's really important to get formal training, especially in ethics. None of this, like I checked in with their soul level and they said it was okay for me to work on them. So I'm, I'm working on them. You can really cause great harm doing that. Getting trained is really important when you come into your gifts.
1: I could listen to you talk for hours, but I'm, I'm, I am I'm. have a question that's bubbling up for me right now that if I don't ask, I know I'm going to forget it. Why do you think it's so hard for human beings to trust that sacred intelligence? And why do we put so much weight on what we can see? Because I see so many people suffering, trying to find the way, trying to logic their way through things, trying to cling on to something that they can touch, see, Taste here, but there's this ocean of wisdom this ocean of knowing that is so much more grounded in truth that we as a species just tend to not even acknowledge so i'm I'm wondering just from you like why is that and how do you guide or teach people to almost trust that infinite wisdom so that they can begin to live a life of, of true alignment? Like, how do you, how do you guide that journey?
2: Yes. It's a great question. Let's start with the second half of the question. Cause that's kind of the, for many people, that's kind of the million dollar question, right? Like how do we learn to trust ourselves? How do we know who's talking in our heads? Which voice do we listen to? Even what is that, you know, consciousness voice? What is, what are the voices that we grew up with that may be limited in different ways? Even though our parents and our loved ones around us did the best that they could and our divine beings, our divine consciousness embodied inside themselves too, they also have their places of trauma and woundedness that things messaging came to us in ways that may have been more fear-based instead of what's underneath the fear is love. But the love may not have been as clear of a conduit in those places. Mm-hmm. So, how do we access that? A quick way, there are so many ways, and this I work with people one on one and in groups and classes and so forth to teach this. But, one of a quick way that can help people right now is if you lean into find a moment in your life where you knew something, we had certainty about something, but you had no. Kind of logical way of knowing what you knew, but you somehow just knew. That this was the path you were supposed to take, or this was the person you were supposed to talk to in this moment, or this was the the apartment or house that you were supposed to live in for this time period of your life, or this was the city you were supposed to move to, or this was the job for this time period, some moment of certainty, or that you should go and talk to this one person and make a connection at this event, or whatever that was, there was a moment where you had a moment of certainty. A moment of knowing something beyond what you could normally know. And it may not have been a visual. And I want to downplay the visual. So I'm multi-sensory in my ways of knowing. And there are people who are top teachers in the world of wisdom teachings who have one way of knowing that may not be visual. They may they may be empathic. So they may feel what's happening in other people's bodies as if it's happening in their own. And there are caution spaces around that too, because you don't want to track everything in your body. so for those people who are listening that are empathic, awesome to be awake to that knowing that you can feel like someone might be talking about they have a headache, and all of a sudden, like you feel like, "Oh I have a headache too in that same spot that means you're empathic. <laughs> you're feeling what's happening in somebody else's system, and it's a beautiful level of depth of compassion and empathy. And you need to get some training to learn how to utilize that in a way that you don't have to suffer and take, you don't want to take on other people's stuff. Second, some people hear it. So some people like, I just heard a voice that said, rent this apartment. So I rented the apartment or I heard a voice that said, this is the one. And that was the person they chose to partner with or that was the person they chose to talk to or whatever that was. So some people hear it as an audio kind of thing. Some people see something like a light around people or colors around people's. So even like the light body will not just emanate light, but it will emanate light in different vibratory frequencies of color. So some people see that or see lines of energy like what I described and some people taste energy and some people smell energy.
1: It's really fascinating and I love that you're describing all these different ways that one can experience energy because I think there's a romanticism around the flashy lights and the again like what we can see if they can see it they must be better than me. They must be like more like awake than me. They like there's all these stories that then show up around that which then at least for like even me, like I I, learn, I sometimes distrust the the natural gifts that I have because they're not as extravagant, they're not as they're not as eclectic, they're not as whatever word you want to use to describe a multi-sensory transformative or gift. I, I don't even know what the mm-hmm. word is, but like I think there's there's something there in just like a comparison, if you would. Sure. in in gifts. So like how do you learn to like actually learn to just appreciate your gifts as they are instead of like, cause I, I see the balance in, in wanting to go further into your gifts and push the boundaries of what you can do. And there's that other edge of like, Hey, like my gifts are absolutely perfect as they are. Like, how do you, how do you balance that journey?
2: Balance is an interesting concept, right? So for different people, it's going to show up in different forms. Balance isn't always equal. Mm. So for you, the balance may be that a uh, place of acceptance of how do we stop? Which is really what we're asking is how do we stop judging? How do we stop judging these things as weird or woo woo or that's not? I don't have evidence. Or and that question to kind of go back a bit, you ask like, how did it become this way? How did we get so far from being the intuitive beings that we are? And even that word intuitive is kind of interesting, right? As you know, I work with many CEOs and top entrepreneurs and and have the privilege of being on the inside of these spaces. Would you be surprised if I told you that most of the top entrepreneurs or CEOs of Fortune 100 and 500 companies are planning their days of what most needs to get done that day based on their three biggest gut instincts? That's intuition. I'm not surprised. Right. Yeah. Right. So anybody who's skillful in any field is doing pattern tracking. What's pattern tracking? It's intuition. Like it's, it's structured over time. You've learned to track the patterns. What are you tracking? You're tracking subtle nuances in the patterns and seeing things that maybe other people who don't do that every day don't see. So a nurse practitioner is going to track the subtle differences between one person's symptoms and another person's symptoms. The color of somebody's skin, the amount of glassiness in their eyes, the temperature, the way the first um, symptom they mention when they get there. They're going to track different things than you and I might see in somebody who's sick because they have an astute level of of instinct or intuition that's built into the pattern tracking but it didn't just happen like it's how do we learn to find that balance and find that acceptance and and stop judging ourselves or stop dismissing what we know because something else looks like it is the right answer or the socially acceptable answer that question itself is laden in inside the other question of how did we get this way as a society well let's look at it Okay. So what type of schooling did we all have? What was valued in our schooling? I'm an educator and I believe in their amazing, amazing educators. So this is not to bash education or public education or private education in any form or way. As a society, we're at an apex where many of our systems, if not all of our systems are being dismantled. So let's look. We're right now we're recording this amidst a pandemic where many of the students across the world are studying remotely. They're doing virtual online classes instead of in-person classes. And there are challenges of that, and there's greatness in that too. It's requiring teachers to be present in a way like they've never had to be present before. To hold an audience in attention virtually requires an immense amount of containership and presence, which takes us back to what is energy, that place of energy moving through us, as us, it, that is our presence. It's like my favorite definition of the term guru is that guru is the weighty one. What are they weighty with? Like we gather around these gurus. What are they weighty? They're weighty with light. Light. They're waiting with the presence of their own beingness. They've cleared out so many of what I was referring to as apple cores and banana peels, the old emotions and experiences and things that weren't really their food, that they can show up in that vastness of consciousness that resonates and calls us home. So why why don't we have that as a society right now? Why don't we have more of that as a society? We're waking up as a society right now. We're waking up more and more to that. And we've been living inside of a time period that has been called different things in different lineages. So inside of the shamanic lineage, it's been called the Pacha Kuri. Pacha means infinite time and space, and kuti is upside down or the turning over of. So around 2012, when everybody was talking about the end of the world or these prophecies, and it wasn't about the end of the world. It was around the end of a time period in consciousness and states of awakening that was ending where the world had been upside down, inside out. And if we look at that, we had like 2007, 2008, we had some real estate crashes. We had the banking industry that needed to be bailed out. We had like all of these interesting inside out, upside down things that were trying to write themselves. Now, many of us prior to 2012 were thinking like, okay, great, 2013 is going to be rocking awesome. Like we'll get through this vortex and the world's going to write itself. And here we go. And it turns out that, so for those people who are listening and not viewing, I'm taking two bottles that have long necks, like a long spout on each bottle, and I'm placing them together to make an hourglass. So if we're turning something over, it turns out that the vortex in the middle of the time periods that we're kind of turning over to get to is a bit longer than maybe we had hoped for and simultaneously exactly the right length of time for whatever is needed so it 's a there 's a depth to this question that is in a certain way we 've all grown up inside of a patriarchal structure and is not just in the United States and it 's not just in canada i 've had the privilege of working with people globally and it there's a global sense of this like we look at we're just waking up to the ways like what was the latest research I think last year or the year before was like women were making 60 cents on the dollar to what men were making. And, and that was what 2020 that's still happening. You know, there's layers and layers to this, but in patriarchal structures, what's valued is that when the masculine inside any of the us, so inside of women too, When the masculine inside of us is suppressing the feminine intuition, instinct, connection to all that is, that Shakti in Sanskrit, that Shekhinah in Hebrew, like there's the words even sound the same. This place of this mother source, this divine feminine being. When any of us are suppressing that, we do not have as much access to that flow of consciousness and we don't have as much remembrance that it lives. It's the same in every single one of us. When we hurt each other, we are hurting ourselves.
1: There's so much in that. And as you were saying that I'm realizing authenticity is that light. When you remove everything that's not you and you just allow the most natural, vibrant, authentic version of you to emerge, that is that that energetic presence, that is that light, that is that that harmony within. It's It's not suppressing any aspect of it. And as you were saying that, I I want to talk about suffering for a little bit because I think that's a really interesting idea. Is there a purpose to suffering? And let's start there. there. Is there a purpose to an individual's suffering?
2: If I might, and you don't have to answer this, Raj, but when you lean into that question for yourself, for the times when you've suffered in your life, has there been a purpose to it for you?
1: The only purpose I can see is that it created a contrast. But now in my life, now, like I choose not to suffer. It's 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 a choice that I'm consciously making, even in pain, I'm consciously choosing to not suffer. And I think it took some time for me to get there and I didn't realize that it could be a choice, at least for myself. And I look back on my previous years, the purpose it served for me was that it's making every choice not to suffer now that much more rich and potent and, and, and delicious. It's like, I, it's like a, it's like a, it's a reminder of personal power, at least for me. And I don't know if that is the, is the purpose of, of all the darkness is the purpose of that purely to know the light. Is there, are there people, are people meant to suffer? Certain people meant to suffer in life so that there could be the duality. I think I'm, Even thinking about it just from a grand perspective, like what role does suffering play in this, in this awakening, in this, in this, in this sort of emerging way of being?
2: So again, I don't claim to know the unknowable and here's the parts that I figured out or what seems to make sense to me. Inside of the tantric teachings, there are four types of time. We are right now inside of a time period that is, we're coming out of a time period called the Kali Yuga not yoga yuga. And it is a time period of dark ages, inside out, upside down, like the Pachakuri. It's the same thing, different language for it, where values are inside out, upside down. Think about our our machines, like our washing machines, our refrigerators, when our grandparents or maybe your grandpa- great grandparents, like they could buy one and it would last for decades. And now they're purposely made to last a certain amount of time, but not too long so that we have to buy more that then creates more landfill. Our systems are inside out, upside down. Now it's like that because people are trying to feed their families, you know, and yet in terms of suffering, kind of to bring it around, there is only light and the light will manifest itself. It will cloak itself in its absolute freedom. It will cloak itself in its own darkness. So if we have four types of time, and we're in this Kali-yugic time period and we're heading into a Satya-yuga. So a time period of truth, an age of consciousness, an age of enlightenment. Why would the divine, so in Tantric philosophy and teachings, and this is where it's really helpful. So I'm, I'm digressing for a moment and I'll come back to this time teaching. It is helpful to study inside of different lineages or inside of a lineage that really speaks to you. The knowledge is very, very useful in addition to the sacred wisdom, the sacred intelligence of that knowledge is helpful. The wisdom teachings that you really, they've been taught through oral tradition. It's a vibrational transmission that happens from teacher to student and the wisdom teachings that they're, there's a way that there are things that can, one of my teachers used to say, there are things that can only be known and not told. And that's that place of those intuitive, you can feel the depth and the rich, you can feel truth inside of something. You can hear the vibration of truth inside of something and it pulls us towards it. So kind of wrapping back around it's those and experience. So, those are each of those are really important to kind of have and take with us. Coming back to time, if everything is made of light, so like if you, if we ask a scientist, I believe one of the answers we'll get is that everything is made of photons, which is light. So, the food, the plants are the sun rays shine down, and the sun and the rain feed our plants, right? So, little sproutlings are growing up towards the sun, and there's all the photosynthesis that's happening in there. And then, what happens to that plant? We eat it. So, we too are eating light. We are made of light. Everything is made of light. Now, if the light is manifesting as something called the Kali Yuga, this time period of darkness, like why would the light, why would the divine itself embody as a time period of darkness of suffering when things are inside out, when, when integrity and values and ethics are inside out, upside down, people suffer, the animals suffer, the planets, like things suffer, right? There is pain. Why would that be? Why would, you know, if, if the divine and this, you know, goes to these, if questions are are rooted obviously in, a space of what do we believe about the universe? What do we believe about divine consciousness? What do we believe about a connection to a supreme consciousness, energetic, that is there? If there is a supreme consciousness, for lack of better words, and it embodied itself as light to have an embodied as us, these you know beautiful creatures and treasures hidden inside of us that we're connecting on in the best of our abilities and trying to get our own stuff out of the way to do that, Why would it cloak itself even in the darkness of our body and our stuff, our wounds and the other voices that we hear from other people's limited? Why would it why would that happen? Why would that be the divine construct of the human experience? So it kind of brings us to that kind of diamond analogy of, you know, the diamond, the coal, the pressure, and it becomes the diamond that I wonder, you know, what if Part of that suffering is about helping us to release whatever needs to be released so that we can shine brighter. And what if that suffering helps us to connect to the divine light inside of all beings? It helps us understand and have great compassion for other people's suffering.
0: I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I. I... <laughs>
1: Like I, I just I could literally listen to you speak for hours. Like it is so I feel there like the word reverence just keep keeps coming back for me. There's a there's a beautiful reverence in the tone of your voice and your presence and your curiosity and your uh and even in the compassionate way that you think about explaining some of these denser concepts. I just feel so held as I'm listening to you explain something that I really needed to hear. And I just, I'm so grateful for you. And I'm, there's there's just so much, I've been really kind of going down this path of going back and studying my own ancestry and, you know, really going back to the the Gita and even beyond that to a lot of the tantric teachings. And, and it's just, and as you even said that, like, you're going to resonate with one over the other. Like I, I feel that resonance now more than ever. And, and, and I'm learning to trust it and I'm learning to lean into it and to know that it's, that there's so much more for even for me to experience and for all of us to really journey on in this lifetime. Like you're never really finished. It's just really inspiring. And I just want to thank you for, for shining that light, not for just for me, but for everyone listening. Um, It's, 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 you're such a gift, Cheryl. And I'm just so grateful for you.
2: Thank you, Raj. Should we close with a poem? Sure. Yeah. So this is by Hafiz. Am I allowed to read something by somebody else on here?
1: Of course, of course. There's no rules. It's my show.
2: (laughs) Well, um, with great credit to Hafiz um, for this poem. It's called Beautiful Creature. I'm reading it from a book called Love Poems from God, 12 Sacred Voices from the East and West. Beautiful Creature. There is a beautiful creature living in a hole you have dug. So at night I set fruit and grains and little pots of wine and milk, beside your soft earthen mounds. And I often sing to you, but still, my dear, you do not come out. I have fallen in love with someone who is hiding inside of you. We should talk about this problem. Otherwise, I will never leave you alone. This beautiful creature dance. This is the treasure that, you know, is hidden inside each of us. And it's it's almost like this love poem between self and self, that what if we approach ourselves this way? If there is a beautiful creature living inside of us inside of ourself that is that yellow liquid light that that is pure light that um, is this supreme consciousness that is hidden inside of us in these moments when maybe we're lashing out at somebody or we're angry at somebody or we're sad about something or we are scared that we won't fulfill our life purpose or you know whatever that is and yet there is this beautiful creature living inside of us what are what is our version of the wine and the milk to bring beside our soft earthen mounds to like what is the gift we can bring ourselves of gentleness of true nourishment is it a warm bath is it a salad is it a soup is it like what is it is it calling a friend it, what is that that sweet offering that we can bring to the altar inside of ourselves on those days
1: Wow, that's a beautiful visual, the altar that's within ourselves and bringing the offering. Yes. And this segues perfectly into the last question. In fact, in the midst of everything that's unfolding, everything that's happened and everything that is to happen, Cheryl, how do you
2: stay grounded? Meditation. So meditation and daily practice really And I guess I say kind of jokingly, but for every person who's a parent on the call, my children keep me grounded too. (laughs) There's the reality of the children. They they want food three times a day, you know, like there's, Mm -hmm. there's a certain sense of that beautiful ritual and structure and that showing up for people, whether it's my children or my clients or myself or my spiritual practice for me, it's, it's what grounds me the most is um, spiritual practice and staying in deep remembrance every day. Whether it's, it can be as simple for those people who've tried meditating and it's like the mind is so busy, it's hard to meditate. Yes, the mind is busy and the smarter you are, the busier your mind will be. So there's nothing wrong with you, with anybody who's listening on this call. If a daily meditation practice has been super challenging and particularly super challenging during a stay-at-home order. You know, there's nothing wrong with you. What it is, is it's it's a deep calling to figure it out and to find a form Mm. of meditation that will work for your particular wiring. And there are many different forms.
1: I just want to note this. Maybe it's difficult. Maybe the suffering that's caused from the difficulty is part of your... Awakening and finding the thing that's uniquely yours, finding the size yes. that fits just right. Like that's yes. there's beauty in the discomfort, and I just wanted to yes bring that to the forefront. Um, it, won- gosh, it launches okay.
2: us on journey, right? That suffering. Like yeah. If there wasn't that rub, would we change? If there wasn't the suffering, would we change? And eventually, we get to a point in our spiritual practice where. We're there was a, a minister who wasn't my minister. He was a healer, actually, who was a minister also. And he once said to me about 30 years ago, maybe, he said, Cheryl, what I've learned is that I'm on a tighter leash with God. So, although it might take a big rub for us to make certain leaps in our life, a big abrasion, a lot of suffering, what happens is over time, not that there's not multiple dark nights of the soul that are normal and part of a spiritual journey. And- because there are and can be, but there becomes less of a rub that's needed to get us to move in a direction, to get us to stay on our destination journey, because you feel that you become, you're on a tighter leash with the Supreme Consciousness. It's like, there's really no choice. I do this or I suffer. I do this or I create more suffering in the world. It becomes very binary in a certain way.
1: Ah, Cheryl. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we might have to continue this this conversation uh, Just because I know that we're running out of time But I again want to thank you so much For just sharing your light For bringing just such a beautiful energy uh, To my day And I'm just so grateful to have you in my life So thank you, thank you for being And for everybody that is a wrap Of this week's episode of Stay Grounded I'm your host Raj This is your new friend Cheryl And from us Stay Grounded We'll chat soon.
0: Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life.